During pioneer days, a family lost all of their possessions to a fire. In response, their church called together everyone to pray for them, for a special prayer meeting. And as the people came together for prayer, a young man rode in with a wagon full of building supplies, staples for their homes, tools. And he said, as a young man, he said, my father couldn't come, but he sent his prayers on that wagon. Well, some astrologers brought prayers to a house in Bethlehem. They had seen a new star in their beloved sky, symbolizing to them the birth of a king. Now, how they knew, I don't know. But they followed this star as far as they could, and they found, they found first Jerusalem, the capital. Somehow they had clout because they gained an audience with the king, King Herod. And he sent them in another direction. And then that faithful star was back for them to guide them where they needed to go, to the manger, to the house, wherever it was that they came. They were searching. They were seeking. First, they were asking, praying perhaps, for guidance from a star. And then they were asking, praying perhaps, for guidance from a politician. Amazingly, they got good information. And then with the star again, the star's help, they completed their search. Now, the Bible doesn't say these three, supposedly three, at least two, magi, astrologers, didn't say they were praying. But it says we see that they were searching. They were searching for a king. To me, that's prayer. Now, most of us here have grown up in churches, and we've prayed, and we've listened to prayers, and we might have said prayers, and so we sort of take it for granted that prayer is something we're supposed to do. And, and it must be a good thing because we see people doing it. All through the Old Testament, we see people. All through the Gospels, Jesus is going apart, you know, somewhere else, away from the disciples and away from the crowds to pray. And then other times, he's looking up to heaven and acknowledging God's help or asking God to help out in some way. So we have all this. There was a farmer. He was entertaining one of his sophisticated relatives from the city. And before their meal, as was the farmer's custom, he bowed his head and asked for a blessing or asked a blessing from God over the food. The visitor was quiet during the prayer. But afterwards, he said, yeah, that's kind of old-fashioned. Nobody with an education prays at the table anymore. 
The farmer admitted that the practice was old and even allowed that there were some on his farm who did not pray before their meals. The visitor felt justified, so he said, So, enlightenment is finally reaching the farm. Who are these wise ones? Farmer says, My pigs. Enlightened? Well, if prayer is such a good thing, if it's part of a balanced diet, we might say, why does it leave so many people feeling guilty for not praying? Like exercise or sleeping, unless you find value for yourself in the process or the results of prayer, you won't make it a priority or you won't take time for it. We ask ourselves then, is communicating with God, that's my definition of prayer, is communicating with God worthwhile for you? Research may tell us that prayer helps us enjoy longer and healthier lives. I can't speak to that yet. I don't have a death date, early or late. But my experience tells me that days go better when I spend quiet, focused time in prayer. Quiet, focused time with God. If it's late in the day and I'm extra irritable and impatient, I'll remember sometimes that I skipped prayer time that morning because sleep seemed more important. Sometimes it is. Because answering emails seemed more important. Because something else got in the way. But when I do pray, my mind is clearer. Just think how bad I could be. When I do pray, my decisions seem wiser. When I do pray, my family appreciates the difference. Now we have a basic understanding of prayer as as talking to God. As I mentioned, sometimes during worship, we'll have, we'll have some silent prayer, but usually when you see prayer in the bulletin, you expect somebody to be talking. Prayer often involves asking God to do things for us or others. Often we pray and say, God, will you do this for me? And sometimes we say, God, what can I do for you? As we begin the new year, I hoped it might be helpful for us to have new tools in our prayer toolbox to find new ways to pray. Because some ways work well for some personalities and other ways work well for other personalities. When we find that, it's like when you're trying to find an exercise that you like to do. And you might try racquetball and ugh. You might try running and oh, my knees. And you might try various other things until you find that one thing, even if it's walking. It's like, oh, I can do this. I can, this can be part of my balanced diet. 
So I got this book called 50 Ways to Pray. And in it, Teresa Blythe suggests multiple practices of prayer that go beyond talking at God or even talking with God in, in our traditional sense. A lot of the exercises include silence, but there are various things that we can do within that silence. We can write. If you're a writer, we can write in a prayer journal our reflections about a significant event. If you're crafty, wait, if you do crafts, you can, um, you can draw or paint or sculpt. And while you're doing it, bring to mind something that has been troubling you, a concern, and let God work through your hands to bring new insights to you. Some people, studious people, might like to take a passage of scripture or some other devotional reading, and I imagine them, it's like a, a wine expert taking a drink of wine, that, you know, that first sip, and they slosh it around in their mouths, and I guess they try to come up with all these flowery words that I never can. But, you know, they examine it, and they, you know, touch on each word, each flavor, and find what it means for them. That's a way of prayer. Now, there are movement-oriented prayers. You know, sometimes we make you stand up to pray. It's not just to stretch your legs. It's a reminder. It's a reminder not only of the reverence that we offer to God, but it helps. We think better when we're standing up. Did you know that? It helps. Here's some others. You might have heard or read about a labyrinth, these grand uh, circles often where it's not a maze, but you follow this path in and out, and you, you want to let go of something perhaps, and you rest in the center of the labyrinth and pray and offer yourself to God, and then you slowly walk your way on out. And I've heard people say that they felt such a great sense of release from that body prayer. Roman Catholics for years have used a rosary. Pam, can you show them your bracelet? Pam got this bracelet for Christmas that she showed me a couple weeks ago that has different, um, has different beads that symbolize the different stages of the life of Christ. Thank you. And you can use something like that for prayer. Now, some of you think... I'm not going to do anything like that. Well, here's another suggestion that Blythe makes in her book. Try watching TV or a DVD. When you come across something that, that touches you, it might make you cry, bring a tear to your eye, or it, it might you know, kind of give you a strong sense in your stomach. Go back and watch it again and again and examine with God's presence why that touched you, what it could mean for you. It could actually deepen your spiritual life. Now, there are numerous ways to 
practice these, and there are numerous other wild and interesting ways to pray that we often don't think about. You can make up a way. I'd be glad to connect you with some resources to guide you. Or we could have an experiential prayer group here at church to practice some of these and see what we learn about God, see what we hear from God. This morning, I'd like for us to experience the Lord's Supper as a multifaceted time of prayer. We will share the peace of Christ with each other. You can say the peace of Christ be with you to someone nearby and they might respond and also with you. The peace of Christ we share. As you do that, say a short mental prayer for the person you're greeting. That's a part of our communion service. And then when we go and think about this table before us, The Lord's Supper involves all of our senses, sight, hearing, the words of institution, smelling, the bread, the grape juice, touching as we hold the cup or the bread, and of course, tasting. Savor these this morning. Notice them. Thank God for them. And consider part of the Lord's prayer, Lord's Supper, a body prayer. It involves movement as we receive a tray from one person and then we give it to another just as the Magi gave meaningful gifts to Jesus. And we're going to have it in silence, even though some of you don't like that. Some of you don't like that because it's unfamiliar, it's uncomfortable. It may seem interminable to you. But I invite you this morning to give yourselves over to the silence. Give yourself time to contemplate. Let your muscles relax. Listen to God. And experience God's shower of light and love and peace. Let God communicate with you in any way your spirit might hear. Now first we're going to sing a hymn. And it's about bringing gifts to Jesus. And I invite you to consider the gifts that you might lay at Jesus' feet, if you were one of those early kings, magi, searchers. Let's go ahead and stand and sing. <laughs> 